Hey, everybody. My name is Nick Schatz. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And I just want to welcome you to our online services. Hey, first off, if you are a guest with us, I want to let you know you can go to hfcinfo.com. And there's a lot of different information there. But the most important thing, I'd like you to just click on this. It's an online connect card. And just let us know that you were worshiping with us. We'd love to be able to engage you and follow up with you a little bit. also have a quick announcement that I want to give to uh, just our members and those who call Hershey Free Church their home. So with the, of course, fall has come, the weather has begun to change, and also we have some ministries that are ramping up some activity uh, where they were dormant over the summer, uh, talking about kids ministry, student ministry, uh, some beyond the walls initiatives that we have coming up, our groups ministries and groups have become more active, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, with that, of course, spending has began to creep up as well. And I will say we, our staff has been very frugal, very impressed with them, how frugal they've been for the last six months, but in, expenses are beginning to increase, and we're having lower uh, offerings than is typical for a September. Now, I realize I'm saying all this at a time where many of you have experienced perhaps uh, financial hardships or at least financial changes since the coronavirus has happened. Uh, However, if you are able to continue to give, I would ask you to do so generously and regularly. There's three ways you can do this from home, of course, online on hfcinfo.com. Once again, uh, here's a phone number that you can text, text a dollar amount to, and uh, the prompts will follow from then. And then, of course, there's snail mail, the old-fashioned way, 330 Hilltop Road is where we are at. Okay. Hey, thanks for listening to that announcement, and we're going to get into the message today, uh, continuing this series of Building a Bridge. And as we get started today, I want to let you know about a woman that, unfortunately, you've never heard of. And it's unfortunate that you don't know about her because I guarantee that you and those in your house right now have been greatly influenced by this woman. Uh, This woman that you should know of but don't is a famous bridge builder. Now, not not a bridge builder of normal bridges, literal bridges that are made out of wood or concrete or metal. Instead, she was a famous builder of relational bridges by using, instead of wood and metal and concrete, like I mentioned, she used her words. She used her ears with listening. She used acts of kindness to build bridges with other people. And because she was good at bridge building, she did some astounding things. She was able to influence entire nations and empires. She has been able to convince more people to believe in the gospel and follow Jesus than any social study or uh, history study could ever trace. She was an amazing uh, bridge builder. And now there's a reason that you don't know this person's name or who I'm talking about. It's partly because I've been a little bit misleading in how I describe her, because I'm not talking about a specific person. I'm actually talking about a people. I'm not talking about one individual woman, but I'm actually talking about an entire vast family of people. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about the collection of people who have decided to follow Jesus and to be all in with their faith throughout the course of history ever since the day that Jesus resurrected. These these unnamed and unknown people in history, uh, men and women, boys and girls, who have chosen to follow Jesus and they have built bridges with other people and have done astounding things. I'm talking about Christians throughout history who have practiced listening instead of barking. Christians who have taken care of children that they've never birthed. Christians who have demanded justice for people that they don't even know. Christians who have entertained complete strangers. Christians who have traveled to dangerous locations to explain the gospel. Christians who offer what little they have to those who they know need it more. Christians who offer grace and mercy to those who certainly do not deserve it. These are the unnamed Christians all throughout the history that that, that we'll never know who have been amazing at building bridges and have changed the course of history and have influenced you and me in direct and indirect ways. 
And the reason they have done this is because they have viewed themselves as a sent people, that they were sent from God. Now, we're going to look at a couple of passages today in which Jesus is called to be, calls us to be sent. And so here's the question I want us to answer today. What in the world does it mean for us to be sent? What did Jesus mean when he said that he was sent by God? What did he mean when he said that he was sending his current disciples and also all future followers, including me and you, to be sent into this world? Who are we sent to? What are we sent to do? Where are we sent? What, what on earth does it mean to be sent? This is the question that I hope for us to answer today. And as we start, I want us to start by looking at Jesus, the originator, the originator and founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, and how he was sent by God. And we're going to start by looking at a passage in John chapter 17 in your Bibles. So you can turn there if you like. John 17 is a, a prayer that was recorded that Jesus prayed in which he was praying for his own disciples that were right in front of him, as well as all future disciples that would follow and as we read this, I have a few uh, places that are underlined where the word sent is used. And I want you to pay special attention to that. So let's read this together. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they might be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of this world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, I'll admit there's a lot of stuff going on in this passage that we certainly do not have time to dig into all of it. In fact, I only want to focus on one verse, and I would even say just one word that's repeated twice within that one verse. It's, it's verse 18. As you sent me into the world, Jesus says, I have sent them into the world. What did he mean by being sent? Actually, over 30 times in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is the one who was sent by God. Sometimes he says this of himself. Sometimes other New Testament writers say this about him. But over 30 times in the New Testament, Jesus is said to be sent by God. Now, we see this first stuff uh, come, come into play in the Incarnation. Now, the incarnation, that's kind of a $10 word that describes the moment in which Jesus became man, the moment in which God emptied himself of his deity and took on the form of human, and he became a person. 
He came down to this earth. He put on a people body and he ate people food. He wore people clothes. He walked on a people earth. He slept in a people house and in a people bed. He walked around with people on this minuscule little rock floating around in the middle of this vast universe. He submerged himself in our society, in our culture, in our living rooms. He became a person. He became just like those who were around him. At the same time, he was nothing like those who were around him. There are people in this world that are just naturally selfish and self-consumed, and Jesus proved to be completely selfless. People think about what they can get, and Jesus only thought about what he could give. People want to be served, but Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. People want to become rich, and he wanted to become poor so that others could be made rich. Although Jesus became man, and he was in every way just like us, he was also nothing like the people around him. Yet he was always engaged with those who were within his spheres of influence and who were around him. And as you see him walking this earth, and as you read the accounts in the Gospels and in other writings of of various historians, you see that he rubs shoulders with all kinds of different people. On one end of the the pendulum swing, we see that he uh, spends time with tax collectors and prostitutes and womanizers and criminals and sinners, and he, he got along with many of them, and he built bridges with these people. On the other end of the spectrum, he spent time with with prophets and with scribes and with religious leaders. And he argued with a lot of them that had hypocritical lives, and he pointed out some of these inconsistencies. But there's many others that he got along with, like John the Baptizer, one of the prophets of those days. He got along with, with Nicodemus, had good chats with him, and so on and so forth. Jesus was just like those around him. He was very much unlike them in other ways, in the way that he lived, in the values he had, in the way that he thought. However, he always engaged those who were around him. I love this quote from Andy Stanley. He writes this in one of his books. People who were nothing like him liked him. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. Let me read that again for you. People who were nothing like him liked him. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. And here's an outline that I want to give you that I think best describes what it means to be sent. I got this from one of Tim Keller's books. Uh, Just three words here. What does it mean to be sent? It means to be like those who are around you. At the same time, to be unlike them, but always engaged with those who are within your spheres of influence. To be like, to be unlike, and to be engaged with those around you. I think that's the most simple and concise way to explain what it means for us to be a sent people. Now, I want us to move beyond the life of Jesus and what we know about Jesus, who was the sent one by God. And I want us to move on to the apostles. So we're going to talk about them for just a few minutes. Now, as Jesus worked out his ministry, he gathered to himself and attracted many people who were, uh, eventually became known as disciples. They were the followers of him. And these were people that, again, he was like them. He, he rubbed shoulders with them as he, as he went fishing, or uh, there were family members who followed him. There were people he met in tiny villages. There was a guy he met while he was paying taxes one day. I mean, on and on. He was rubbing shoulders with people who were just like them. He attracted them by being very much unlike them, and he engaged them. And this is how he made disciples in his own life. Now, his 12 closest followers, he, uh, his 12 closest disciples, the 12 as they were called sometime, he uh, gathered them to himself and he actually gave them a new name and a new title and he called them apostles. Here's a couple of verses that I want to look at. The first one is Hebrews 3.1. This is where Jesus is actually referred to as an apostle. He says, holy brothers, you who share in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. So Jesus was called an apostle, but then he calls his closest 12 disciples and he gives them a new title, the same title. And when they came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12, whom he named or renamed, you could say, apostles. Now the word apostle is not just a title, it's actually an action, because the word apostle literally means sent ones. 
And so when he gathered those 12 and he renamed them apostles, or that time where he considers himself an apostle, he's not just saying, this is my new business card, this is my job title. He's saying, this is an action. I am calling you to be sent by me, not just to follow me, not just to be my disciples. I am, I am sending you out. You are my sent ones. That is literally the title that he gave them. And all throughout, uh, all throughout these New Testament letters, we see that the, those early apostles, those first followers, the ones who followed after the apostles, we, we call this sometimes the apostolic age. These were people who were just like those around him. Now, when I come to this point, I want to bring up a uh, word that's in, your, that's in the New Testament. It's, in, it's a Greek word that you've probably never heard of. Uh, you see it come up throughout the New Testament uh, translated as house or household. And that's a good way of translating it. It's not a good way of understanding that word. That's too narrow of a definition. You see, these early followers of Jesus, they didn't have an education or they weren't wealthy. They didn't have any kind of platform. But what they were doing and the way the church rapidly spread was through what we call the oikos movement. They, they were meeting people in their own oikos. Now, oikos literally means, I think a good definition is, comes from William Arne. He calls these natural networks. And so throughout the New Testament, you see that someone's household believes in the gospel and chooses to follow Jesus. That was their oikos, and that's a good way of translating it. Or they start a house church. It's called, it's, that's the word oikos is used once again. But one's oikos is not only their extended family. It, it would be considered your extended family. It would be considered your farm, the people you work with, the people that are in your small village or within your community, the people that are in your, I guess, spheres of influence we could call them. The church spread rapidly because those first followers of Jesus were rubbing shoulders and they were acting and they were, they were dressing like and talking like and, and engaged with people just like them in their oikos or in their spheres of influence. However, although they were just like those around them, we also know that they were very much unlike those around them because we have letters from this time period in which Christians are called various kinds of names such as strangers or aliens, foreigners, temporary res- residents, citizens of heaven, implying that you're not fully here, are you? You view yourselves as citizens of a different land and a different kingdom as well. They were called refugees. They were called Christians or little Christs uh, because they they, they mimic and mirror Jesus and his values. It was a derogatory term in, in that time period, even though now it's not viewed in that way. In fact, when different people described this new religion, this, this new the group of people that were following Jesus, they didn't exactly know what to call them. So they called this new this new Jesus movement, people of the way, right? These new Jesus followers, they don't have a temple. They don't have idols that they can hug and, and touch and pray to and kiss and, and whatever. They, they have no place where they go. They just, I don't know, they're people of the way. They're a little strange. They're just like us. They dress like us. They act like us. They talk, but they're nothing like us in other ways. They are people of the way. However, these early, these first followers, they were just like everyone around them. They were unlike everyone around them, but they were always engaged with people around them. And they viewed themselves as being sent back to their homes, as being sent back to their villages, as being sent back to their farms, as being sent back to their markets, as being sent back to their communities. There's a couple of early historians that I want to point you to that wrote during this time period. One is a guy named Pliny. He was not a Christian. He was a Roman official who wrote a letter to the emperor in the year AD 112. And here's what he wrote. He said, the contagion, uh, interesting word choice in 2020, the contagion of this superstition is what he called Christianity, has spread not only through the free cities, but into the villages and the rural districts. Many persons of all ages and both sexes are involved. 
Here's another guy. This was a Christian around the same time period named Tertullian. And he wrote, we have filled every place belonging to you, cities, islands, castles, towns, assemblies, your very camp, your tribe, companies, palace, senate, and forum. We leave you your temples only. In other words, what he's saying is these Christians, these first followers, they're just like everyone around them. And everywhere you go, whether it's in the assemblies or the castles or the towns or the companies or the the senate, wherever you go, the only place you cannot find one of these strange Jesus followers is inside of the pagan temple walls. That's the only place where you can't find these people because they were engaged in their spheres of influence, the people that are around them. Now, I'm moving really quick, but I have to move on and talk a little bit about the early church. We've talked about Jesus, the one sent by God. He's the one that we follow. We talked about the apostles, literally meaning the sent ones. And now I want to talk about the early church for a little bit. And here, once again, we see that there are ordinary, everyday Christians that we will never know their names who just follow Jesus, and they viewed themselves as being sent. They were just like those who lived around them. These early Christians, they weren't qualified. They weren't theologically trained. They weren't on paid church staff or missionaries and evangelists always that traveled around and took up love offerings at churches and spoke and things like that. These were average everyday Christians. And I wish that I had time to tell you the tales of these various Christians that were sent into their spheres of influence. I'm talking about carpenters and merchants. I'm talking about soldiers and captives, slaves and jailers, rulers, day laborers, family members, leather workers, farmers, builders, doctors, wool workers, Bakers, professors, housewives, city employees, government officials, leather workers, beggars and wealthy upperclassmen and wealthy um, upperclass women. These were average, everyday people who in their spheres of influence, they, they proved to be just like everyone around them. However, as one historian writes, he says, everywhere they went, they took their religion with them. And while they were just like everyone around them, at the same time, they were somehow vastly unlike. They were nothing like those around them. And you have to remember, in the early church, uh, these, Christianity was not the majority religion. This was, this was not a known uh, group of people. They, they, they were thought of as very different. And they proved to be very unlike those around them in various ways. They were compassionate and self-restrained. They were faithful to their husband and wife. They were benevolent. These were not necessarily values in that culture at that time. They treated everyone with dignity and respect and as equals, no matter what their race was or their gender or their class, their social status or their education. Everyone was an equal in these early Christians' uh, uh, walks and in their lives. They detested the immoral practices that were very commonplace in their day, whether it was a gladiatorial show or the practice of exposing infants in the alley that were unwanted mistreating children, mistreating straight, uh, uh, slaves, orgy banquets. These were, these were commonplace in their society, not thought of as all that evil, but the Christians were the ones who detested these practices. They were just like everyone around them. However, in their values and in the way they thought, they were very unlike anyone around them. And somehow that was very captivating and attractive to the people around them. While they were like and unlike, they were also always engaged with those in their spheres of influence. They used their homes night after night to build bridges with people, to form relationships, to talk about Jesus, to host meetings, and to show hospitality to other people. They built bridges while walking, uh, working alongside people in the fields and in their workplaces. They felt like they were sent back to their market stalls, back to their wine shops, back to their laundromats, back to the public houses. These were everyday unnamed Christians that you'll never know about, but they changed the course of history because they viewed themselves as sent, sent to be like, unlike, and engaged with people in their spheres of influence. 
Now, I wish that I could go on and I wish I could tell you the same kind of stories about, uh, about, about later ages in the church and the monastic area and the Middle Ages and the Renaissance and, and Christians all throughout history, all the way down to us, but I don't have time for that. I do have time, however, for one question. And here's my question for you. Are you in? Are you ready to be another generation of people who are sent by God? What does it mean to be sent? Sorry, I missed that quote there. What does it mean to be sent? Are you ready to be another sent person in your spheres of influence? And if you are, I encourage you to be like those around you because if you want to be sent, Jesus is sending you back to your workplace, marketplace, back to your meeting place, back to your birthplace, back to your fireplace. Jesus wants to send you back to your classrooms, to your boardrooms, to your living rooms, to your operating rooms, to your stock rooms, to your mail rooms. He wants to send you back to your playgrounds, to your workgrounds, to your campgrounds, back to your backyard, your front yard, the construction yard, the courtyard. He wants to send you to be like those who are around you and to build bridges with people in your spheres of influence. And while you need to be like those around you, he's also sending you to be very much unlike those around you in the way that you think and in your values and in mirroring Jesus. When you see a lack of empathy, show empathy. When you see a lack of integrity, show integrity. When you see greed, show generosity. When you see conflict, show forgiveness. When you hear loud talking, show active listening. When you see and hear people griping about how dumb it is to wear a mask or how foolish people are not to wear a mask, you are the one who is sent to show deference to those around you. When you hear people loudly talking about their own opinions and their own needs, you are to mirror what Philippians 2 says, is to value the needs of others as more important than your own. This is countercultural stuff. And if you live this kind of lifestyle, you will be like, but also very unlike those around you in your spheres of influence. And as you are like and unlike, you are to be engaged. And when I say engage with those around you, I'm not saying that you are being sent to fight for your rights. I'm not saying you are being sent to proclaim your opinions on various matters within culture right now. I am not giving you a pass to be a jerk about your faith and, and thumping your Bible or to, or to be weird about your faith. I am saying that you are to engage everyone in your spheres of influence as you are like them and as you are unlike them and to live out the values of Jesus. To not be sent is to be segregated. To not be sent is to be separated from those around us. And may it never be said of us at Hershey Free Church that we are not a sent people. I encourage you to go back to your closest friends. I encourage you to sit down with your Live, Love, Lead group and to ask this question seriously. What does it mean for me to be sent to those in my spheres of influence? If you have that kind of attitude, I think the opportunities will, will abound today and tomorrow and the next day? What does it mean for you to be sent to those in your spheres of influence? Now, as you continue to process this, there's two resources that I want to let you know about. The first is a devotional guide. This is something that you can just do in the morning when, when you spend time with Jesus. There's a vo- devotional guide that follows along with this series. I also want to encourage you to go on to hfcinfo.com, and there's a tab on there that describes a little more thoroughly what we mean by being bridge-building kinds of people. You can even see this bridge behind me as a, as a tangible reminder of what we mean. And go on in there and sign up your name and, and just, just let us know. Just let the church leadership know that, that you're in so that we can celebrate and pray with you as you commit to be a bridge builder as well. Now, I also want to let you uh, remind you that uh, this message is over. However, church is far from over. And as the screen goes black in a minute, whether you go to the virtual lobby or not, church is far from over. Church is just now beginning. Because you, Hershey Free Church, you are being sent to be like those that you live with, that you work with, that you play with, that you study with. You are being sent to be unlike those around you, mirroring the values 
and lifestyle of Jesus. You are also being sent to engage those who are around you and build relational bridges with them. Thank you so much for listening. You are sent.